me at Jello, Jello. You had me at Jello. You had me at Jello. Oh, you had me at Jello. Good evening, everybody. Five o'clock on a Friday again. Time for Cello Chat. And this week, this week is our 75th episode, a very special landmark. And with me, a very special guest, Robert DeMaine, principal cellist of the LA Philharmonic. Bob, how are you doing? I am pretty well. You know, I'm still above ground. Uh, you know, that every day that I'm above ground counts. So that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to to this too. I I you know, I love I love nerding out with another cellist more than anything, more than anything. So I'm like first ballot hall of fame nerd, you know, the Comic-Con of like cello with our, like Bill Burr says, our Hulk shirts on our acne. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You might, you might have to like edit that out. I have no idea, but whatever. I love this. My mind is racing at the possibilities. Oh, you're going to just, you wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll try to, I'll try to keep it PG 13. Well, I'd like to begin for our audience sake to recommend your, well, everything, everything, checking out all of your uh, performances that are available, for example, on your website, your uh, interview with Hilary Hahn. And and in fact, I was thinking, well, maybe I can refer people to that bio that you gave, but that was 13 years ago. I can't believe that's like that. that's like a that's back in the Pleistocene, you know, <laughs> before the earth cooled. And oh then, man. <laughs> sorry, I was gonna say, and then no. the more recent uh interview with the Stan Partners for Life. That was fun. You know, we talked for like two and a half, three hours, and they had to like chop it up and make it into a you know, that that the little vignette about working at the ice cream place, Brahms. You've Yes. And and I was a f- absolute disaster working there. And I got a cherry soda all over people and got fired. <laughs> I got fired from selling women's shoes. I got fired from a hamburger joint. I, I got fired from so many places, detailing cars. I ruined some window tint. Bye, you're fired. Ooh, that was really bad. Anyway, no aptitude for anything other than music. And- I can ride a bike. Extreme I, aptitude there, though. So, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind giving your your uh, your bio again, like how did you get from uh, when you first were above ground to where you are today? Well, um, let's see. I I come from a long, long line. You know, I'm I'm this weird guy that every every family has. I'm I'm into genealogy. So I I know my family history back to the, like the caves that we crawled out of that we dragged our knuckles out of um and uh I come from a long line of people who chopped down trees on my dad's side and people who made things out of wood on my mom's side so they're a bunch of woodworkers from Germany which is now well Prussia Poland on my mom's side and on my dad's side they're they're French Canadian so there's a lot of loggers and and uh you know, people who did lots of stuff with, with, uh, (laughs) trees. And, uh, so each side of my family was, was musical. My dad, my dad's side was more of the rustic 
kind. They played uh, they played fiddle. They did a lot of square dances and reels and all that all that stuff that they did up in Quebec and Ontario. And uh, my mom's side, they were a little bit more buttoned up, and they came from the city of uh, of Danzig, now Dansk in Poland, and they uh, they came to Chicago and they all had music lessons and so it was important to them that their children had had uh musical education so we all you know took piano and another instrument and and uh i wanted to play the trumpet and i have no aptitude for that i still i'm secretly wanted want to be a trumpet i want that big of a sound <laughs> i have decibel, decibel envy like every other cellist but um i i know i tend to meander but okay so i when I was born, I, I'm the I'm the baby of the family by seven years. So I've got ten years older, nine years, and seven years. Three sisters, so three more mommies. My mom played the cello. She was an excellent cellist. She studied uh, at DePaul University in Chicago, and she played. Uh, it was different for women back then. The opportunities weren't as plentiful, and uh, she wasn't as encouraged. She got discouraged you know, in her, in her late twenties. And, uh, she also was a, what she she called her, referred to herself as a shop girl at, uh, Marshall Fields. She worked at Marshall Fields and, um, she, uh, just quit the cello when she met my dad. And, uh, the, the piece that she was working on when she quit was Shalomo. And that's the first piece that I fell in love with when I was a kid when I put it, put the record player on. So that's, that's another story that's, that's like indelible. Like that, that, that is a moment that it's just like etched in. I, I, I've got like goosebumps, right. Thinking about it. So, um, is really basically my, my mom's side of the family kind of propelled the, the musical thing. And she was super into opera and we listened to Met broadcasts, you know, growing up in Oklahoma City, I think we had like three classical stations at one time. I mean, people think that it's nothing but tumbleweeds. But, you know, I, I always tell people, it's like, you know, Oklahoma is kind of a nouveau state and people wander around a lot. It's not, not like people just appeared out of the ground from Oklahoma. They, you know, it's our, our little home hometown, Oklahoma City has a basketball team now a, a an nba team it's it's crazy before long it'll probably have a baseball team and a football team i have no doubt i mean it's what is it the 25th largest city in the united states now i mean but pretty soon tulsa oklahoma city dallas fort worth is all going to be one big metroplex anyway so so there's that um okay bob reel yourself back in so um my sister my oldest sister was an excellent cellist as well. And uh, she, her name is Mary. She lives in Tulsa. She's a dental hygienist. That's another story I'd like to share. It's something that happened later. Um, I used to wander into her practice area and uh, she'd set me on her lap. You know, I was, I couldn't have been more than three or four years old and and she would help me play. And I like took to it like really naturally. It just, everybody in my family played a string instrument. That's just how it went. Um, my dad also came from a family of woodwind and brass players, and uh, they're actually quite well known in Quebec, the Gagné family. My dad's mother was a Gagné, and uh, she was actually a good pianist, and and apparently my grandfather played the squeeze box. <laughs> I never got to hear him do that, but um, yeah, so I took 
uh, cello in grade school as well. I think third grade was when they had uh, third or fourth grade. I think it was third grade. We could choose an instrument and, you know, the cello kind of chose me. My mom wanted me to play the double bass. And I said, are you kidding? I'm not carrying that thing around. The cello is big enough. So I was carrying my little half-sized cello around and, and uh, Lowell Russell was our string teacher. And the like the very first week uh, that I played, I think it was eight or nine. Uh, I, I didn't have a private teacher yet. I just had been learning at home with Mary and Mary had been quite a good teacher. And my mom had come in and bark things at me because my mom liked to take credit for everything. <laughs> but it was really Mary because I wanted to do everything she did. We shared a bedroom. I was a baby. She was 10 years old. She raised me. She was my my mommy. And we, we kind of look alike. I mean, imagine a pretty version of me with blonde hair. <laughs> That's my sister. So my sister, Mary is a, you know, she's, she was my, really my first musical inspiration. And my sisters all listen to, you know, rock and roll. So I, I used to listen to, you know, of course the Beatles, you know, the Steve Miller band and, and sticks. And uh, my sister introduced me to Frank Zappa. So I had opera coming in one ear and then, you know, the Beatles and all those other, other things coming in the other. Ear. And I, so I had quite an eclectic, you know, musical upbringing and, you know, perfect pitch synesthesia. I didn't even know those things had names, you know, it's like, I just had all that. And, and I didn't know there was a name like synesthesia was a thing until I was like 40. <laughs> Honestly, I like, I didn't know the whole pitch color thing. And, uh, and I know that's not limited to that, but, um, it it's, and I, I don't even know how it's helpful. <laughs> I mean, Scriabin. Anyway, we can get into that another time. <laughs> Here we go again. Got to get the fishing line back in. Okay. Um. So Lowell Russell said we got to get this te- this this kid to Jane Smith, the finest cello teacher around. And Jane, I remember the very first day I went to her house. I was terrified. I played for her, and she's like, "Yep, we're, I'm taking him." And it was she was like another mom to me. And, uh, I, it's hard for me to talk about Jane without, you know, getting emotional. She, we lost touch for a very long time and I re I reconnected with her and I have her, I have her cello now. And she used to loan me that cello for every competition that I did. And, uh, every audition, it's a, a modern Italian cello. that was actually made made in San Diego by an Italian, but it says made in Venice because he was from Venice. Iago Petronella was the name of the maker. And that's one of my most treasured possessions. I I had a lot of trouble tracking her down, actually. She had asked, been asked for a quote by the Detroit uh, Free Press for something, and they, they got in touch with her. And we're, we're now semi-regularly in touch. It's just, it's hard because... Um, it was a very difficult situation with my parents and uh, without going into too much detail, it was a, uh, it was rough growing up, you know um, you can imagine like, you know, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic altar boy, you know, not the nicest priests wink, wink. He uh, won't get too much into that. Uh, but I was also very involved in the the music in the in the church as well so i learned a lot about uh um sacred music 
uh, from the organist there. And uh, I learned a thing or two about, about playing keyboard. And and in fact, I had to practice piano at church because my dad could not stand having noise in the house. He just So often I had to practice cello in the garage. But I didn't mind because it was boomy out there and I liked the acoustics. And I could sure. imagine I was playing in a concert hall. So right there, I was already like in my early teens and even before then, I was doing this like practice of creative visualization. I, I just had this crazy imag- imagination that was propelled more by a desire to to be famous, you know, to like, oh wow, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be this like great, great musician someday. And but at the same time, music possessed me, you know, in in a way that that's very hard to describe. It was like baseball then became over here. I mean, I knew I was never gonna be <laughs> a great baseball player because those guys are freaks of nature. And uh, I was a decent baseball player, but nothing like any, any, anything that would uh, a scout would even look at. Uh, but I was, I was a catcher. That was my position. I, I, uh, oof, I loved it so much and I was good. Uh, I was a terrible batter though. Oddly, I was terrified of baseballs coming at me when I didn't have any gear on <laughs> I was like, can I like go up there with all my catcher's stuff on? <laughs> my catcher's mask. Can you imagine? Anyway, I'm meandering so much. So uh yeah. Get me help me, help me get back to where you want me to be. Okay. After so actually at age by age 12, you had been mm-hmm. accepted a couple places. Yeah, I, I was I was accepted uh at uh well, Leonard Rose wanted me to come study with him at Juilliard. I had played for him at uh, Eastern Music Festival. And he had only, I think, recently been diagnosed with uh, leukemia. He had beaten kidney cancer uh, like a couple decades before that. I think he only had one kidney. But he uh, he then grew quite ill. and uh, And... I spent a little bit of time at Juilliard with him and, and a little bit of time at, at Curtis. Uh, but my dad, my dad had other sort of plans for me. I mean, he wanted me to follow in his footsteps. He wanted me to go into the military. He wanted me to go ROTC and, you know, do man stuff, you know? And uh, I mean, my dad's, my dad's people were like pretty hard scrabble. You know, they, they, uh, they crossed over some of them illegally from Canada. They crossed over the St. Lawrence and changed their names and assimilated. And, you know, here I am changing it back to what it used to be. I, I grew up Bobby Maine and uh, the, the surname actually should be, it's uh, it's right here. It should, it should be Dumaine. Oh. Uh, but I didn't want dumb in my, <laughs> in my last name because <laughs> people tease me enough already. But uh, no, I mean, I not believe the 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 roasting I get for 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 changing my name back, but uh, you know it's for a good reason. It's not for for vanity at all. Um, you know my grandmother's family, they, their surname was Gaines, but it was Gagné across the border. So Laroque became Rock. You know, so I'm really super super into that stuff. And uh, and my mom's family came through Ellis Island and then the port port of Baltimore as well. Um, and uh, then to Chicago, and where she grew up. So, so yeah, uh, <laughs> you were you were saying, Ben. The other place 
besides um, Leonard Rose when you were 12 that had accepted you? Weren't there, there were two options. Am I remembering correctly? Oh, uh, Geneva and uh, and Paris, uh, Paris Conservatory. There was a definite possibility of me going to study with Andre Navarra. I mean, it was all happening so quickly that like these teachers, they saw raw material, so young, ready to go, and it just didn't happen. My my dad was, as I remember, Leonard Rose was the one who really impressed my dad the the most out of out of uh, all the all the teachers that that um, were in contact with my family. Um, he was kind of a kind of a man's man, and and my dad. They smoked cigarettes together. They, you know, they talked behind a closed door. And my dad really, my dad was about, I think, 10 years younger than Leonard Rose. My dad was born in 1928 and Leonard Rose was born, I think, in 1918. And so I think he looked at at Rose as as like a big brother type. And Rose could sense this. And I mean, without, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to talk about this because I, 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 I feel like I'm bragging or, or patting myself on the back and I, I'm really not. It just, it, things happened as they were supposed to. And my parents thought it was better for me to finish my secondary school at home. And, you know, I, I, in defiance, I sort of just quit the cello. Jane dropped me as a student because she's like, I, I can't teach you. Your mom is too difficult. They won't buy you a nice cello. You know, they they could not see they could not see music as an honorable profession. Even though my mother was so, you know, I never got a compliment from my mom. And and you know, I I would hear her brag about me, you know, to other people. And I I was like, you know, I felt really good about that. But Never, ever, ever would she say "good job" at a boy, you know that kind of stuff. And and uh, it was one time that I, uh, and this is a, good, a, a decent story that's kind of uh, a little off the path. I was really proud of a particular live recital that I, I had done, and uh, I I brought the CD to my mom's place, and she was living in a convalescent home in New Haven. I had brought her with me to Connecticut to t- try to take care of her. Uh, I failed miserably at that, <laughs> but um, I, um, so I brought the C- CD and I said, mom, I, I I just recorded this recital of, of this, this, this European cellist. I was trying to fool her. I said, you've got to hear this. You've got to hear this, this guy or girl, whatever I said. So I put the CD on and <laughs> she, uh, she listened, it's the Casado suite. And uh, after like five seconds, she looks at me and she goes, that's you. And she winked. And I mean, it just melted me. Like that was like the the greatest thing I ever received from my mom. And it was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. It's so weird. Cause you know, I, I know I talk about my mom a lot. My mom had sort of untreated mental illness. And finally, when she, we, she was so sick in the nursing home, you know, she had had several strokes and she was belligerent and and difficult. Finally, she was diagnosed, uh, I believe bipolar. And uh, when she got her medication, she became like a little lamb. 
Mm. It was amazing. It was like too little too late. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how much of this could is going to be valid in the in the cello podcast. But I, I'm very open about it because uh, I inherited all of it. You know, I'm bipolar one. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I self-medicated for over two two decades. I pretended to be sober for 15 years. I was popping pills the whole time. Now I'm sober. Five years. And uh, I, uh, I crashed and burned here in LA. I was supposed to perform a concerto. And uh, I was doing too much. I was teaching full-time at Colburn. I was... Um, I was performing too many string quartet concerts with the NS quartet. And I, I had taken several recitals and a few concerto dates. I could not keep up with it all. And I, you know, I turned to my old habits again and, and, uh, and I, I got in trouble. I mean, and I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't function. And, uh, and so I, I went, I went into, into rehab for, for a month and I got better and I've been in therapy ever since. And I've been with the right doctors and medication. And, and, you know, I, I think the stigma needs to be removed from mental illness and, uh, also with the trend of things today with, uh, you know, they talk about privilege take take 10 steps ahead if you were raised in a family with two parents well they don't say we were raised in two pair family with two parents one was bipolar and the other one was alcoholic you know they don't say any of that they don't go into that all these uh, sensitivity training courses that that they wa- they waterboard us with every year you know and uh you know i've been speaking up not so vociferously, but I, I think it's time to acknowledge that there are other <laughs> there are other things that uh, affect people of all colors and creeds, you know. And uh, I, I'm not really I'm not really into the identity politics thing so much. Uh, it's it's driven me so crazy. And I know this doesn't have anything to do with cello. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I I am. Go ahead. I, I am. I am. I. I do. I. I am an advocate for helping people who are underprivileged, of course. And I. I've done a lot of that, and I did a lot of it before all of this started. And uh, I was very aware of that. And uh, anyway, I may. I don't want to get myself into trouble. I know you don't. You don't want to get me in trouble either. No, this do you? My my brain now is heading towards uh, what it must have been like. I mean, you and Christian Ellenwood were roommates, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you see, I'm politically, politically, I've been on both sides. I've been like, I've been super red, I've been super blue. No, and I'm I'm thinking more just the creativity of your two minds. You know? <laughs> Christian, I mean, we're 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 so alike, but yet we're so completely different. You know, I mean, I he's a more sentimental being than I am. I'm more cynical, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. <laughs> okay, so that was. I'm I'm a di- I'm a deeply religious person, um, and he's not. But I, you know, I, I can't speak for him, but I, I I suspect that we are very opposite in that way. But uh, anyway, that's that's just 
that's that's just i mean i love christian he's just so oddly he's got the name christian (laughs) i love i love him so much though that guy i can't imagine my life without him in it you know he he got me through my first year at eastman when my dad passed away uh from cancer that was a bad bad year and uh luckily i mean i'd gotten in in into the Rochester Philharmonic as a sub that year. And, uh, and I got some, some work that way. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I'm sorry, what the hell I was doing. That was the first audition that I took. And I, I, you know, I pissed off a lot of people. Uh, They were like, how'd this kid get this job? You know, but I had a very good coach, uh, Kathy Murphy, uh, Kathy Murphy Kemp. Wonderful teacher. One of the best teachers that I ever had. Again, another unsung hero, you know, Steve Doan and Paul Katz and all those guys are unbelievable teachers in their their own way, but they're not starters. They're not the starters. And, and I I I want to. You could write a whole book in praise of the starters, and uh, I I couldn't do. I could not be a starter. There's no way. I don't have the patience for it. I am the guy that people come to for finishing touches before an audition. I'm that guy. I I love doing that. That's my favorite way of of teaching, which is really just coaching. I'm not teaching you how to play the instrument. And many teachers don't make that distinction. And many teachers only coach, but yet they call themselves teachers. That's very you know, I, I think that they're, you know, I mean, Starker made that point, and uh that was something I very easily grasped because I I I can teach you how to play the cello and I can but I'm better at teaching you how to play it better. You know, I, from square one, no, I'm not good. Hmm. I've tried. (laughs) I don't have, I have zero patience for it, you know? So anyway, uh, man, I don't know if I'm, if we're getting anything done here. (laughs) (laughs) Then, so you I have all the time in the world, by the way, I'm not in a hurry. So great. And you studied with um, just kind of a who's who of, of many of the other. Uh, I've been around. Big names in, in cello teaching, like you just listed. And then um, after graduating, got the the principal position at Hartford before a, a decade at Detroit. It was at least well, well the Hartford job I got while I was in school at Yale, okay. and uh, that was a way to sort of pay the bills. And I luckily, I mean, I was ready to go bartending or or get a job as a waiter. I had brought my mom with me to New Haven, Connecticut, to take care of her because she needed, you know, around the clock, you know, somebody to 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 help her because she had trouble walking and, you know, taking care of herself and and. Uh, that was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, that was just not not anything I'd ever recommend. <laughs> oh boy. If anything qualifies me for sainthood. Anyway, uh no, I, I could have done a lot better. Um and look, the way I talk about my mom, it's like I, I feel like I'm disrespecting her. I love my mom. She 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 uh it's because of her that I that I exist. First of all, and also, you know, I, I think a, a significant amount of like epigenetics comes from from her. 
And uh, I feel very close. You know, what's weird. It's like, I told you about the woodworking stuff. I have a knack for that. I made two bridges for that cello behind me. Wow. They kind of suck. No, but they're, they're, they're not as good as like, you know, my guys out here, like um, Jeff Muller and, and, uh, and uh, Eric Benning and, 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 and that, that company. Um, I'm in good company out here. Uh, Mario Morales also is a splendid um, instrument maker, but um, yeah, I made a, a Belgian and a French bridge from scratch. Each one took me about seven hours and the backache I had after that, it was just, but, you know, I made uh top knot. I also made uh saddle and I've, you know, carved various things. It's weird. My, my youngest sister who's seven years older than me, Donna, she lives in, in uh, Tampa, outside Tampa. She's a visual artist and she is the most talented person in, in our family. She is just by far, you know, it's unfortunate that like her work is probably going to get recognized after she dies, like 200 years from now, it'll be like, what the hell is this? This is fucking brilliant. I mean, she was supposed to go to the Chicago art Institute and instead she helped put her, her uh, fiance through, or well, they got married. She got married right out of high school. She helped put him through veterinary medicine, medical school. And, uh, and then they got divorced. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, things happen, you know, but she's still stuck with it. She's so gifted. I wish I, I, I could show you some of her stuff. It's in the other room, but, um, anyway, we'll have to put that link up too. That if she has a website, she does. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. It's a, we'll look it up. We'll it's, find it's, it's she's got something on Instagram. It's 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 cool. I'm like barely on Instagram. I don't even remember my password. <laughs> so, I you know on on occasion I just sort of lurk on Instagram and just see what other people are doing. And I'm like, you know, I probably should. Eh, I don't really. I just my ambitions are are different now. You know, it's like I I just want to be I want to be the best I can be. Yeah, that but, takes time. Uh, and also, it's it's about elevating the music for me. And I don't want to cultivate the type of audience that is just like based on likes and based on, you know, a, a, a 10 second, you know, crudely put together little video. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't with that, as my daughter would say. <laughs> it's so sus. <laughs> after after Yale, it was straight to Detroit. No, I, I was uh I I went uh what I was at Yale and then I was briefly at University of Connecticut. They had given me a, a stipend to to work on a, a DMA out there, which I didn't finish. Um but I was um um working in the Hartford Symphony. I, I was there for about nine years, nine, ten years. And uh then I I I won the job in Detroit and I was at the point in my life where if I wasn't going to win an audition, I was going to switch gears and maybe try to go to med school or something. Um, that's the significance of one of my tattoos I have in my arm. <laughs> I, uh, if, yeah, if I weren't, if I weren't a, a cellist, I'd probably be a doctor. Now, by the time I'm 70, <laughs> I finished my residency by the time I'm 80. And finish paying my student loans by the time I'm 236. <laughs> uh, 
I know that stuff fascinates me as much as like family history. And it's because I had a, an autoimmune, I have an autoimmune disease that, that is very tricky to treat. And, uh, sounds like Halloween. Sorry. Uh, I, uh, so be part partially my, my, uh, instincts were to like, you know, study immunology and stuff like that. And, or I had these, dreams of becoming like this great diagnostician like dr house <laughs> but uh that's another life ago um yeah exactly you Lori's amazing um so yeah i was i i um uh, i did end up getting the job in detroit and uh they put me through my paces for that audition boy did they ever and uh i came out on the other side of the, the curtain when they said you know you've, you've got the job and like half the orchestra sitting out there and they're like hey do, do you like the hall the hall is incredible in detroit it's like it's like first of all it looks like the inside of a wedding cake it's so beautiful and uh and then you you play in there and it's it's one of the greatest halls i've ever played in. it's like up there with with symphony hall in boston carnegie uh severance i mean severance is possibly the greatest hall in the u.s but i don't know it's it's hard to say it's like there's so many great ones but detroit orchestra hall is just phenomenal and uh they said what do you think of it i said oh man it's like driving a ferrari oh sorry i mean a cadillac <laughs> you know so i had to be really careful you know but, 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 but. <laughs> once i turned 50 like jokes like that that i tell weren't funny anymore <laughs> maybe they were never funny no, those 50 are was like when I stopped being funny and became like, everything's a dad joke. <laughs> and then Detroit uh, had their, as a symphony, had their issues and you ended up in LA. Well, I mean, that was a, another kind of, kind of convoluted story. You know, they, they had the, the, the strike, the, the work, work stoppage. Um, and uh I was I lucked into into some some really great work. I I was a sort of deputy principal cellist in the Bergen Philharmonic in in Norway, and uh, and also in the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And uh, I also did a few weeks in the Toronto Symphony, but that was before uh, as a, as a guest principal. And uh, you know, I thought about each city and like what, what, it, what it would be like. And, and, uh, each, each one was, it was tantalizing, you know, Bergen, wow, it'd be great to bring my, my family to Europe. You know, I, I had taken the Concertgebouw audition and, and, you know, was last man standing a couple of times and, and, uh, wasn't offered the job or whatever. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but, uh, they didn't like me enough. <laughs> so, uh, that was right before. Uh, and also I, I had, auditioned for uh the cello position in a well-known string quartet and i was a runner-up for that i was like always the bridesmaid never the bride you know i had taken several other principal auditions it was like very specific i wanted to do that and that was the career path that i wanted i didn't want to be in the back of the section because you, you one tends to get typecast in this world mm. and uh, i wanted to stick with what i knew and and you know i got good at it really fast in hartford i never expected 
you know, what I really wanted to do was play solo concerts and chamber music and, and make my living doing that. And, uh, you know, I had a manager in New York and, and I was off and running doing, doing a lot of that when I lived in, in New England, but it didn't take off. It didn't take off for me. I had to, I had a few problems I needed to sort out over the next 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, luckily I did. And, and, uh, so, um, I flew to LA, um, after the strike resolved and I, I came back to my job after they lost all their other string principles. I came back to my job in, in Detroit. And then uh, during that season, we were going to be performing and recording John Williams cello concerto with Leonard Slatkin. And uh, so the week before that happened, I had already submitted, I had already submitted my resume to the LA Phil uh you know, many, many weeks before that. And I was accepted in into the audition and, uh, and I was, I, I was invited into the semifinals. So they, they invite people from bigger jobs into, they, they get to skip the prelims. Mm -hmm. And um, I, um, but so the week before that happened, two weeks before that happened, it was the concerto. And so I flew to LA to play for John Williams at his house. And it was, that was surreal, you know, getting, you know, ding dong, John Williams answers the door. It's like, hi, Mr. Williams. You know? <laughs> Just like, it's like I met, I met, oh my God, I met Patrick Stewart the other day. It's crazy. It's like you, you bump into celebrities all the time out here. And uh, I was at a, you know, a function and he's there and he, he like comes over to me. Like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, like maybe somebody's behind me that he knows. No, he's coming over to me. He wanted to compliment me on my playing. I couldn't think of his name. I was like, thank you, Mr. Picard. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. And that, and, and, and I, and I said, oh my God. Ah, I, I met, I might've said Captain Stewart. I was just, I was so, I was so flustered. You know, I was truly starstruck by that. And, uh, and the fact that he, he said he was impressed by my playing. I was like, that made my year, man. I mean, like, wow, another fellow, fellow Baldy. <laughs> that guy's tall. I mean, well, anybody's tall for me. I'm five, eight, five, eight on a good day. And he's at least 5'10". I, I didn't know he was that tall. Um, but all those Hollywood people, they wear lifts. <laughs> and look, I got my I got my Hollywood phony now, too. I got my teeth straightened. I got that Invisalign stuff, so. They look you know. great. Well, so you played, handsome, was, handsome was never the hard part. <laughs> the, you played the concerto back in Detroit, though. Oh, yeah, you're reeling me back in, right? Okay, Sorry. Yeah, so, no, no, that's fine. Let me, you know, let me, let me wet my whistle. Yeah. Mm. So in Detroit, I, we had four performances, and then we cobbled together. You know, there was one that they decided to, you know, base it on, and then they did some edits, and we re-recorded the ending. So there's no applause. I was like, they should leave the applause in. That's the best part. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah! you know, she was more like, <laughs> no. So, um, so I got John John Williams' blessing, and it was fun when we were. I was in his living room and there was one part where it was kind of confusing that the second movement is a, is a very jazzy movement. And, and I needed like somebody to, to mark time for me. And, and I said, would you mind conducting this part? And he said, no, no, no. Cause there was a, his, his rehearsal pianist came to, to play with me. We had rehearsed that morning at UCLA and I was so stressed out. I was pouring sweat. I was so damn nervous. I, 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 because I cram learned this concerto. I mean, I shouldn't admit that. 
but with all the stuff that I do, it's like part, part, it's part and parcel of, of how I prepare, you know, and I've done that my whole life. I've just sort of waited till the 11th hour and then gotten my best work done, you know, that way. Be it ever thus. Uh, so I got his blessing, but, but when he was conducting uh, that part, I said, I kind of looked at him and I said, so now can I say that I, I soloed with John Williams conducting? We had a good laugh over that. That was really, really funny. But we had met before. He had conducted in Detroit and uh, I had played his Sayuri's theme and he arranged Schindler's List for cello. It's really hard. It's an, yeah, it's like, yikes. <laughs> it's really difficult. But we we, uh, we ended up recording uh, his Sayuri's theme for uh, the LA Phil 100th whatever the the John Williams CD on DG which is pretty cool and uh I did that one on the Strad uh the LA Phil Strad and that that's my VOM behind me okay part right. of it that's yeah so that's uh that's another great story that was bought for me by a, a wonderful lady in Detroit and uh the most generous person I've ever met um she deserves a mention here i mean she's as important to me as Jane and my sister uh, her name is uh, Cecilia Benner, and she provided funding for a couple of the recordings that I've made. As far as my website, you had mentioned it before. I haven't updated that in probably like 10 years. I need to get on it. I've got to get on it. You know, I was waiting to lose some weight, get some new clothes, get new photos. You know, I'm too lazy. I got to get on it. But the thing that thing that's uh, that's great is that my playing keeps improving, and I'm happy about that. And I'm, I'm, I work hard and my job keeps me in really, really tip top shape, first of all. And I, I, I've learned how to say the word no. Yes. I oh. used to say yes to everything that came my way because I was a hoarder. Like I, I said, no one else is going to get my gig. <laughs> and there's power in no too, because then you become a little bit more, maybe a little bit more desirable that way. I don't know. There's something to it, but I honestly, I just needed to slow down and improve the quality and not the quantity of what I did mm -hmm. and, uh, and reflect on how I was doing things. Uh, and the why as well, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I pushing myself to, so hard? I don't get any enjoyment when I do that. And, uh, as much as I, I loved playing in my quartet, I, with 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 James and Amy and uh, and Richard, I I was just coming unwound in every way, and and they deserved better from me, and I I couldn't I couldn't anymore, and uh, so I resigned from the quartet, and then they they got uh, Eddie Aaron to replace me, and he's awesome. I love Eddie. I mean, we're all friends. I mean, it's you know maybe there's some wounds that are still healing. I broke up with the quartet via text message. Uh, but since then everything is, is, uh, has gotten better. So, you know, I hope that, that you'll edit some of this stuff out. <laughs> Otherwise I'm going to be, this is like a tell all, this is like days of wine and roses here. I didn't see Ben. I don't, I didn't, I have a lot of trouble turning my filter to like five, at least, you know, it's on zero and, uh, you know, I'm, there's nothing I won't divulge, you know. Um, I, uh, you know, I think once I started hardcore therapy, 
you know, three times a week, hemorrhaging money. But it, I look at it this way. It's a, it's an investment in myself. It's an investment in my family, my children, and, uh, you know, whom I adore above all yes. and, and my wife, you know, and marriage is not a walk in the park, you know? So we've had our, our, our challenges and, uh, we're, we're getting through it. You know, um, you're married, right, Ben? Yes. How many kids do you have? I have two like you. Just like, just like, and what were their ages? They're 18. <clears throat> Wait, you have twins? Yes. Oh my God. Really? Are they, are they identical? No, no fraternal. Boy, boy girl, or? Two boys. Oh, wow. That's, a, but I bet they do look a lot alike. Uh, yeah, a fair amount, a fair amount. And you have uh, a boy and a girl? Yeah, Paul is is about to go to college. He's he's just gotten accepted by, or at uh, like eight or nine different colleges. But he's he's um, really hoping to get accepted at at either uh, UW Madison, his right. mother's alma mater, or or um, um, Indiana, which I mean, both of them are great music schools. And he plays the French horn really well. He takes after his mom. He's got that gene. He's got definitely got it. But it doesn't light a fire under him. And I think he recognizes how hard it's been for his dad. You know, like I I have a separate place. I have a studio in downtown LA and we also have a house um, in South Pasadena. And that's, you know, they have great schools there. And uh, I have my piano, my harpsichord, my, all my, you can see behind me, that music, that's multiplied. That there, there are three more sets of those bookshelves in this room and oh that that other thing that's a shower curtain <laughs> that's the, that's the closet door <laughs> nice. uh with the the fear and loathing in las vegas uh yes. poster above it yeah i love ralph steadman but um and i i love i love art i mean i'm surrounded by art as you can see here i love those old posters uh, advertisements uh, uh cap yellows and and uh and such and it, i i just I can't get enough of it. This place is like, it looks like Amazon vomited on the walls. <laughs> None of it's original, but. Uh, Bob, if I may, I want to talk to you about that audition process. Hmm. I have a couple of thoughts that I want to ask you about. One of them is, um, I mean, preparing things to a high level is a discipline that I think a lot of people who do or have walked the earth just kind of never experienced to get to that incredibly rarefied air. But then the other thing that I want to ask about, maybe I'll start here, is that there are people who just only have so much resilience for being uh, disappointed, you know, and it's not I mean, hey, I remember growing up once we heard that when I was in ninth grade and I heard that there was a ninth grader who got principal cello of the Allstate Orchestra. Oh, and not a senior. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have to, that cannot prevent you from trying again. You referred earlier when we were first talking about treating those as learning experiences which I think is so much healthier than just trying to have to tell yourself, well, that's just their judgment, you know, and I know how good I am. And, 
and try to use kind of willpower to get through it, but you treat them as learning experiences each audition. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, first of all, I, I learned to not ever take an audition to to just win the job. I mean, yeah, you want you want to win the job. I mean, who's kidding whom? But um, the main prize, the the brass ring, there is is the improvements in your playing. Because inevitably, when you get yourself into audition condition, which what, what I call like the sort of being at the like right at the peak of Everest, where the winds are just blowing you around, and it's so hard to like maintain like that flag that you're gonna, that banner that you're gonna you're gonna put this like I made it, I made it, I made it up here. It's very different from base camp. It's pretty base camp's pretty high up, right? But the summit of of uh, of a mountain is is a very different animal, unless you're Wim Hof or whoever that guy is that does it shirtless, then it's easy. But uh, or like George Carlin said, like if if Mount Everest is so so hard, why do they why does everybody go up the easy side or something like that? <laughs> I I probably mangled that, but anyway, and and that applies to us too because people a lot of people end up going up the hard side. Uh, and, uh, like for Amron used to say, say to students, he'd say, well, you can practice six hours your way or one hour my way or whatever he said, Brinton Smith would be able to tell you better. Cause he knows every word he said verbatim. Um, but, uh, yeah, that talk about one that got away. Yeah. 39 when he died, um, auditions getting to that, that, that rarefied, you know, that that uh i guess st stratosphere um there's always a level above that hmm. and there's another level above that you remember when you were a kid and i say this a lot to people i coach when you were a kid and you started getting better at the instrument like the next day you couldn't wait to get the cello out of the case to see like if you could play better and you you were you were better like I had this like corduroy zipper brown ugly like bag and I would get it out of the case and then I I would pick it up and it's like this is fun like I'm I was getting really really good and actually my dad started paying attention he's like it's not bad you know you know <laughs> he's like well play some Hank Williams on that you know <laughs> and uh I um I try to harness that in other people because you you remember that right Ben like how when it started being fun and those little like those plateau were really rapid okay and I look at it like a spiral staircase almost like you know a strand of DNA or something like going up it's like a spiral staircase and those those steps they start to get bigger like as you get into your teens and twenties and when I hit about twenty eight I stopped getting better like i wondered like it's like i wondered like they they always told me i was a prodigy growing up you know okay uh, i was an early bloomer that's how i looked at myself uh and you know i could do everything i can do now when i was probably 11 or 12 up and down to staccato play well in tune you know all that stuff and 
I wondered if I was like, God, am I just like a, a, a really rapidly growing pine tree that reaches a finite height while all these slow growing redwoods are going to surpass me someday? And they started to. And that's when I started to panic. And, you know, and I was drinking a lot. I was uh, um, dealing with nerves that way, anxiety. And, um, and then I reached out to an old teacher in my mid-20s. And his, he's passed away now. His name is Luis Garcia Renart, another one of the most important teachers in my life. He taught at Bard College. And he was one of Pablo Casal's uh, later students in his later life. Uh, he was a uh, Catalonian-born Mexican cellist who, um, and his sister, uh, Marta, is thought to be like like the the um, Rudolf Serkin of Mexico. I mean, she's she's an amazing pianist. I got to play a recital with her in uh, San Miguel de Ende uh, back in 1990 when I was, I still had hair. Uh, and uh, he resuscitated me and it, the first time i played for me he said you sound i played the first move of dvorak he said you sound angry i said i am angry you know i i should have all this stuff i should have this i should have that he so gently gave me everything i needed to bring me back to a centered place and it was right after that i won detroit wow right after that and i was off to the races and uh all the all the great all wonderful things started happening after that james ennis invited me uh, james had toby Sachs. god bless her she's gone now but she she ran the uh the um seattle chamber music festival society uh summer festival um she was the founder of it and and she handed it over to james um short a few years before she passed away and james runs it now but uh i i went there i mean i've taken a couple of years off but i've been going there since 2005 that was my first year and yeah i've been going there for 18 years now crazy to think that because i think my first summer was james's 18th year if i'm not mistaken <laughs> so he had already been going for for a very long time like he was a practically a child when he first went and uh and i'm i'm lucky that i got james is another one of the most important people in my my development i i you know <laughs> he's a great friend but i happen to like worship him at the same time you know he's like a he's a genius in disguise <laughs> you know he's just a regular nice like like ordinary guy in so many ways but he is possibly the smartest human being i've ever met possibly anyway not surprising right um yeah his uh, iq is definitely above room temperature <laughs> uh mine not so sure but anyway i uh i have so many other interests uh, outside music that uh i think prevent me from being super duper focused on what i do but i think they do enrich my musical experience a lot and uh i don't know it's hard to make sense of it all sometimes but um but coming back to what we we're saying about uh 
about learning from our audition experience. You have to learn to take criticism for what it is. It might not really mean you might not get get criticism from you might not get feedback from the jury or you might they might have a person in mind that they want and they're going to hire that person mm -hmm. no matter what i mean it's it might not be fair and square sometimes it is sometimes it isn't you don't know um most of the time it is i mean it's it's a uh, i am i bitter about a few things no i used to be but uh things have worked out quite quite nicely for me i uh I've learned more, I think, about the auditions that I've lost, about my own playing, about how I've handled myself on stage. Um, when I auditioned for Principal Cello in Cleveland, I thought that was some of the best cello playing I'd ever done. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, because I learned at, at that audition, I, I just, I figured I had no, I had no skin in the game. Like, oh, there's no way I'm going to win this. So I went out there. I was gonna, actually going to drive home. <laughs> before I went on stage, I was I was going to chicken out, and I went into the personnel manager's office, Carolee Ayat, and I said, "I'm I'm just going to go." She said, "Please, please don't go. Please play. The committee wants to hear you." So I went out and I crushed it. Like I played great, and and it was like, okay, and uh, I I felt something different that time, and I had had that feeling in Detroit. I had also had that feeling when I won the Irving Klein competition. Incidentally, in that competition, I had a memory slip in the first round in my Bach prelude. And I stopped and I said, okay, I've reached a, like a fork in the road. Um, I could either walk off stage and go home or I could just start over. I started over and it was like another spirit came in my body i was like bulletproof at that point i played like i've never played in my life i remembered and this is funny because i had a memory slip when i was 11 years old playing baccarini cello concerto and i have it memorialized on a, a betamax cassette believe it or not <laughs> we were the only people in oklahoma with a betamax <laughs> renting a movie 50 dollars <laughs> My dad won it as in his insurance company. He went, he, he was former military and then he he started, he was in an insurance, he was an insurance representative for like 19 different companies. And he also was uh, an estate planner. And I think he did some CPA work, but he was qualified to do all that. He was a good numbers guy. And uh, he, uh, he won this thing for some like underwriting all these policies or whatever so the thing arrived it was like it weighed like it was as much as like two anvils it was so heavy and we put it thunk, on top of our console tv you remember those yes. the thing i don't even think it had a remote i think you had to get up and change the channel but you know i was the only one that used that damn thing and i i would record uh itzhak perlman Leonard Bernstein, anytime that anybody was on the Tonight Show or or Leonard Bernstein would connect the Vienna Philharmonic, we'd have a blank tape and I would put it, my mom brought me blank tapes and I, now it's all on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's so spoiled. It's so, you know, if YouTube existed when I was that young, I would never leave the house. Um, amazing.
you know, I think a lot of people don't leave the house. Um, so uh, coming back to memory slip. What's about? Yeah. So, so I have that memorialized on, on tape and uh, it's not that bad, but when it happened, it was as though the earth stopped twirling on its axis. I mean, everything came crashing down because before that, I didn't have a, a worry in the world. And then I had that memory slip. And then I began to question everything I did. Like everything was easy for me. And then everything became incredibly hard to do in front of other people. So I had been trying to figure that out ever since. And then when I had the thing happen in the client competition, it was like a nice closure to that situation. That was only like, what was that? Nine years later. But, you know, I still I still worry about memory slips, but, you know, the, the best antidote for nerves and memory slips and all that stuff is preparation. You know, that's, you know, the, you know, beta blockers, this, you know, you know, other medications. Try practicing. <laughs> that's the best way, <laughs> you know, I, I would have nerves of steel if I practiced like eight hours a day or or healthfully. I mean, you should never practice what you're already good at doing because that's bad for your, you know, synapses or whatever. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> glad I'm not, glad I'm not your neurosurgeon, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so I learned a lot from those two experiences in terms of like almost like closing the circle. Does that make sense? Yes. So I would say I've learned more from quote unquote failures than successes because successes you just kind of like wow you know uh, i'm set i'm going to the top or whatever but you know my parents i think in some ways raised me right i mean they they always taught me to be humble and and uh and i think some people mistake my confidence when i'm playing the cello for arrogance and i I'm the first one to shit on myself. <laughs> believe me, believe me. But when I'm playing, it's it's all business. You know, I I'm not. Um, there's nothing else in the world that's go that's getting in my way, uh, and I'm all in. I'm opting all in when I when I'm doing it. So, um, trying to think of, uh, you know, I've taken. I think about 10 orchestra auditions in my life, which is not very many. And I've, I've won about just over half of them. And uh, see, I see twice and Kitsarikabout did not get the job, but you know, came close. Buffalo came close. Uh, what else? Cleveland twice. So how many is that? That's one, two, three, four, five five and philly six so that's six i didn't win uh the first time in detroit i overslept for the finals oh no yeah so i don't talk about that too much <laughs> that was really bad i could have had the job two years before i got it but as it was i was still kind of a kid when i got the job you know i was just over 30 and and uh i god uh i had a lot to learn in terms of like handling other people 
handling criticism because I had the skin. I had like paper thin skin. I mean, it was like see-through. <laughs> and boy, did a lot of people throw darts at me. But I handled it. I learned. I get thick in my skin when I was there. It was the best thing for me. You know, they threw me to the wolves. I had three people that surrounded me who were the oldest people in the section. There was a guy in his early 70s, Mario. Marcy, who was the uh, acting principal cellist, she was associate, wonderful musician. I mean, frighteningly talented, great pianist, great cellist. She had a Gofriller and a Ruggieri. Wow. It's like, oh, do I take the Range Rover or the Mercedes? You know, it's like, you know. So, and here's me with my like modern American cello. It sounded pretty good. You know, I won my audition, audition on it. And uh, they were putting some pressure on me to get something a little, what they thought was that, that they thought was sexier. But hey, they thought I was playing a gofriller when I won the audition. They, they said, what are you playing? I lied and I told them it was a gofriller. And the guy that made the cello, he was he was upset by that. He said, "Why didn't you tell him?" He he was he he wasn't going to give the cello back to me. That was a that's another story. John Van Cowenhoven is one of the most brilliant uh, makers alive. I mean, he's oh, he's still making in 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 Hartford, and uh, he is up there with James Ennis in terms of like uh, creativity and genius and and. Uh, He's funny too. He's just like all these really genius people are very funny, I think. Yeah. But uh anyhow, um, I don't know if that that covers too much, but uh, you know, like a failed audition for young concert artists too. Like, you know, I learned, you know, sometimes they know who's gonna win maybe before the audition even happens. Uh or, you know, again, like like with Young Concert uh, Concert Artist Guild, I, I made the finals of that once and and uh, didn't didn't get it. But uh you know, I, I I would I would mope and I would cry and I would, you know, punch the wall and I would have a temp temper tantrum and feel sorry for myself. But it's like I, at the end of it all, I would ask myself, I'd say, So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna quit? What are you gonna do? Quit? No, you're going to pick yourself back up and you're, you're going to, you're stronger because of it. Clearly. What did Nietzsche say? I mean, I guess what that doesn't, what, which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I guess so. You know, I think it might, it might add up. But you know, there's the, some of the points that you've already made, the degree to which um, sometimes people let themselves think, oh, well, maybe somebody else was already predestined to be selected for that, you know, that sour grapes as eh, probably, yeah. you know, or being thin-skinned, thinnest skinned towards their own criticism, you know, beating yeah. themselves up more than, than anything else. But, but so it's not just that you got back up and dusted yourself off and practiced more, but you knew how to practice to keep getting things to that, just incredibly polished and reliable. Well, it, it, Ben, it, it dawned on me just real fast. Sorry to interrupt you, but before I forget to say it, it it did dawn on me that, um, and fairly recently, it was kind of an epiphany through therapy. It's like, 
nobody, nobody can hurt me like I can hurt myself. You know, I, nobody can criticize me to the level that I'm capable of. It's like people, people say stuff about me, talk smack. It's like, all right, no, you know, you're probably right. Because I, I just, you know, I, it doesn't hurt me. It, it doesn't affect me anymore. It's like water off a duck's back, you know. And part of that is like some good good friends of mine from Detroit. My friend Dave Everson, he's been like the big brother I never had. He's thick in my skin by roasting me every time he sees me. <laughs> he uh, kind of introduced me to bro code, you know. That guy, he's he's one of the best people on earth. I love that guy. Um <laughs> But typical if, brass player. Sorry, go. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. Go back to your. Yeah, if if I may ask, I mean, mm -hmm. you said, what was the expression you used about the uh, high level baseball players, freakishly good or something like that? Mm -hmm. So I, honest, I want to know if you had applied your approach that you have used in practicing the cello to practicing being the best pitcher excuse me catcher possible mm. why do you what makes you think you would not have been able to have joined the rarefied air in the baseball world because uh, i'm not a gifted athlete i think i you know i mean what leon fleischer always says that you know musicians are athletes of the small muscles yeah i mean i think that's that's more me you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good, I was a good athlete. I, I was not professional athlete material ever. You know, I was not a fast enough runner. I was not, you know, I had asthma. <laughs> so, you know, I had a lot of things, a lot of strikes against me. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't dampen my enthusiasm for it, but I knew in my heart that it wasn't going to happen. Okay. So I, but but, but, but I, I think you have to have, you have to have a fire under you for, okay. the, for that pursuit, and that that's okay. music. I I I do, and okay, I, I did. I should say, having yeah. having not seen you coach at the same time, I just I just guess that if somebody comes to you for those finishing touches before an audition, that if they are thinking to themselves or saying out loud that they. They don't know that they're gifted in that way, that you as the coach can talk them out of that and get them to still help them win that thing that they're auditioning for. Well, I, I think a lot of what I do is uh, and I'm not I'm not like like uh, like Don Green or like who, who's the guy that has the the new hot website uh, Japanese name. I, I'm trying to uh, very popular. Uh, I'll think of it, but he's, he's, he's like, sort of like another performance coach and there are lots of different performances. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as one of those, those people, but a lot of what I concentrate on is trying to get people in the right mindset. And it, it's, uh, I describe, I describe my own experience as an emotional landscape. And if I can compartmentalize the things that, uh, prevent me from entering that that sort of what we call it, the zone or, or whatever it is uh where you have flow where you have this sort of state of grace or if you watch 
if like there's so much cross uh pollination like in in my thinking with with between athletes like i, I make students go watch michael jordan videos or or kobe or or uh or wayne gretzky or even like tiger woods the 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 type of grace with which they they play or or like a, a ballet dancer or a figure skater like there is so much to learn from from those disciplines not just listening to hyphets over and over and over again you know there's something to appreciating somebody doing executing like a, a perfect you know whatever triple salco or salco or whatever it's called isn't it spelled the same way as as Salco, the rosin, the the bow guy? Is it <laughs> Isaac? Did he invent that too? <laughs> um, I think it's a Swedish surname. Such a nerd. Anyway, not not him, me. Um, well, he might be a nerd too. He's into bows. I mean, look, he he'd probably be right up there at the uh, the string player nerd fest. Out here, it's like the thing in Anaheim that happens every year. What is it? It's called the uh, the Nam. So, wow, that is something else. That's our Comic Con. Nice, <laughs> it's it's spectacular. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? All right. Uh, well, thank you again so much, and everybody out there, have fun practicing all weekend, and we'll see you this time next Friday. <laughs>